welcome to the Chief Zone Podcast. I'm Farjeet Vasugian. I appreciate all of you guys taking the time to download and listen to another episode of the Chief Zone Podcast. Hope you guys are all having a very good week. Very quiet week, actually, for the Kansas City Chiefs. But hey, that's okay. Still got some things to talk about here on this episode. On tap for this episode, going to go over my five venues in Kansas City, the, the, my five candidates where the uh, city of Kansas City could host the NFL Draft. Uh, some of you guys commented as well. Uh, got a lot of responses, in fact, on Facebook and Twitter about where uh, where Kansas City could host the NFL Draft. So I will talk about that. I'll, I'll read some of your guys' comments on this, some of the suggestions I got, some of the venues. Uh, one NFL player did consider joining the Chiefs coming out of retirement and said joined another team. And also, Kansas City Super Bowl odds are up. And I mean up, according to ESPN. They're falling in some of the power rankings out there, but their Super Bowl odds somehow are going up. Funny how that all works out. Also, uh, Brooke Pryor of the Kansas City Star, she did an interview on another podcast talking a lot about the Tyree Kill coverage. And she was asked about some of the backlash she has has taken and or received and she had a lot of eye-opening things to say about that and I think that needs to be discussed here on this episode as well plus we're going to do our closing segments one thing I want to talk about in our closing segments this is a subject I've talked about a lot streaming services especially as sports fans what can we expect from our viewing experience as sports fans moving forward, that is something that definitely needs to be discussed on this episode because we may be seeing an issue with one streaming service and we are going a few steps back when it comes to trying to move into a different direction with online streaming services, especially in the sports world. We'll get into that later on. As always, I am on social media, facebook.com slash farzinevesugian, twitter.com slash farzin21. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Podbean, and hit the share button as well. Spread the podcast to all of your friends. Let me go back for a second. I mentioned the Facebook page. So, I don't know how exactly this works, but I know that... Every Facebook page uh, has top fans. So, for example, let's just say ESPN. If you comment a lot on ESPN, eventually you become a top fan. There is this little jewel that that's out there that you can... It's going to be right next to your name, and it's also going to say top fan in like a gray, faded kind of font. And it'll always be on your name. So if I'm reading some comments on the Facebook page, it'll show me some of the top fans on that page. Now, a couple of people have, I mean, I don't know why, but just recently, this week, I got more requests about it. People are asking to be top fans. I know people can make other people be top fans. I don't know how to do that. Uh, I see it on my phone, but I don't know how to do it on a desktop. It gives me the option to remove people from... Uh, the top fan status, but it doesn't let me make people top fans. Uh, I'm honestly flattered that people want to be a top fan of mine on the page, but uh, 
I, I don't know how to do that. If if you guys really want to be a top fan that badly, I, I'm I'm more than happy to give it to you. If you can tell me how to do it, because I really don't know how. Uh, I know there have been people listening to the podcast for a long time, and I've noticed they're not top fans. The way the thing I've noticed, the people who comment the most on the page, they automatically become a top fan of the page. That is what I've noticed. I could be wrong, but that's that's the observation I've made as to how that basically happens. Uh, but yeah, there's, uh, I mean, people are wanting to be top fans on the page. That's flattering. Certainly flattering. Uh, never thought anyone would want to be a top fan of mine, but, uh, I'll say, but wanting to be a top fan of mine is like wanting to be a top fan of a single A minor league baseball team out there, but I'll take it one way or another. All right. Uh, this is the topic I've actually teased for a couple of episodes now, and we are going to discuss it on this episode. Top venues in Kansas City to have the NFL draft. Now, obviously, Nashville just hosted the NFL draft. They had it, I don't know exactly the name of the place where they had it, but it was in kind of a downtown area, kind of a wide open area, a little bit like the like the country called Plaza here in Kansas City. Uh, had a great place for it, big stage, and uh, a lot of bars in the area, a lot of restaurants in the area uh, packed because of the NFL draft, uh, which was pretty cool. I believe the year before that, it was in Dallas, and I believe it was at the Cowboys Stadium, which, fairly big venue, you can fit a lot of fans there, so very easy spot uh, right there to have it in. Uh, But Kansas City, where could you have the draft? Uh, As I mentioned, a lot of you guys weighed in, and you guys had a lot of thoughts as to where we could have the NFL draft. Uh, Some people said the country called Plaza, which... I think it's a good idea, but I'm against that, and I'll explain why. A lot of people said Arrowhead Stadium or the Truman Sports Complex. Uh, Certainly uh, an option there, but again, I I disagree with that one. And here's why. The draft is going to take place when? In late April, likely. Pretty much the, the final weekend of April. The problem is, we don't know what the hell the weather's going to be like in Kansas City. Around this time. It could be 90 degrees next year in April of 2020. And then in April of 2021, it could be in the 50s. I mean, look at the month of May so far. I mean, this week, we've had temperatures in the 80s. And then we've had them as low in the 30s. It's been a mix-up. That's how it is in Kansas City. Uh, And by the way, I think another reason... I should clarify another reason why this discussion is worth having is because... Uh, the weekend of the draft, Clark Hunt was interviewed, and he had uh, said that he thinks within the next five years, there will be an NFL draft to Kansas City. I know a lot of times because of the fact that a lot of teams are now giving up home games for an international game, uh, it is, I guess, a non-written rule. I mean, I don't think there are any contracts being signed uh, when this happens, but I guess there is a non-written rule, for uh, at least an agreement, that the team that gives up a home game could be promised a Super Bowl or a draft in the the near future. Now, I'll say this. I believe this year there are going to be five international games. The Chiefs are going to be part of that. Uh, They're not going to be on the road. Or, excuse me, they're not going to give up a home game. They will be going on the road. I take that back. Uh, But they did give up a home game in 2015, and that was to play in London against the Detroit Lions. 
And since then, the Chiefs have not been rewarded anything for that. There are teams annually giving up a home game to go play a, a game across up across the pond. And I'm not quite sure. I mean, now, you, like I said, I believe there are five international games this year. And there might be five next year. And there might be five the year after that. There, there's going to be a long list of teams that you're pretty much now promising. Or at least these fan bases are are assuming you're promising them something in return. Like a Super Bowl or a draft. And at this point, I don't know, I, I don't know if all 32 teams by now have surrendered a home game for an international game. I don't think that has happened yet. But we're getting close to that. You're now, now all 32 fan bases are thinking, well, since we gave up a home game to play overseas, maybe Roger Goodell is going to give our city a Super Bowl or a draft or something. I mean, I, I don't know what else uh, you could reward the city with, but uh, it's just not going to happen. Now, Clark Hunt seems to be one of the owners that's closer to Roger Goodell than most owners in the NFL. So people are hoping, maybe because of that connection, that... Something will happen in Kansas City. I do remember when Arrowhead and Kauffman Stadiums, when their renovations were complete, the Chiefs actually wanted to show off their renovations on uh, primetime in week one. The Chiefs put in a request for that to have a Monday night football game in week one or some sort of primetime game. I don't think it had to be Monday night, but it ended up being a Monday night game. It was the second Monday night game against the Chargers in 2010. If you remember, the Royals actually had an evening game, but they rescheduled it to an early afternoon game that uh, for that year uh, just to avoid interference with the with the two stadiums. Uh, that way the two games can happen at different times. And I know there was some uh, exclusive deal uh, that fans could have t- uh, taken advantage of going to the Royals and then going to the Chiefs games all in one day. So... Uh, a lot of people were pretty excited for that, and you know, people wondered, uh, now with this connection that we have here, and, and the fact that Chiefs gave up a home game, could could the Chiefs get a um, get a draft at least? A Super Bowl seems very unlikely. I know they had a Super Bowl in New York City, or I should say East Rutherford, New Jersey, but uh, I mean, it almost I mean, it almost led to a disaster with the uh, weather. Now they do go to places like Minneapolis, but at least. They have a stadium that is indoors, so it's easier to work around. Uh, they want the stadium to be played in either a warm climate or at least be indoors, which, you know, I'm fine with. People say, hey, look, you know, part of a big part of football is playing outdoors, especially in December. Some of the some some places like Kansas City have advantages, uh, but that's not the way the NFL wants it. Anyway, I don't want to get too off topic. I mentioned uh, the plaza and the Truman Sports Complex, and those would be outdoor events. Again, I think those are good candidates, good venues. Uh, but again, given the weather in Kansas City, it's it's just not going to be something the, the NFL would want to take a risk on. Now, some people said the American Royal, which I think is an interesting option to put out there, uh, which is the area where Kemper Arena is. But that is a very, very old venue, and I don't think the NFL would be attracted to hosting an event to a place that is very old, so to say. Now, some of the other options uh, Chiefs fans threw out there, some people said the crossroads, the ja- uh, being just outside the Jazz and Negro League uh, museums, 
World War One Museum, the Nelson Atkins Museum. I mean, these are all great places and obviously attractions that people should check out if they visit Kansas City. Or I mean, even people who live in Kansas City love going out to these places. But I don't know if those sites would be viable options for the NFL draft. Keep in mind, you've got ESPN on the set. Uh, they need to have their broadcast booth set up. And they're going to have Schefter and Mort you know, in another location doing their hits as well. Same thing goes for NFL Network. And now ABC is part of the uh, the broadcast uh, team out there. And these guys all need to have their own little setup in, in reliable spots. Uh, obviously, they want to be a little bit closed off. They don't want fans necessarily being uh, too close to these announcers here. They want to see them in the background and not necessarily too close. So I don't know if those venues would be good options for it. Now, I'm going to give you guys my top five. I'm going to start from number five, and these are all places that you guys have suggested. And here are here's my top five for where I think we could have the NFL draft in Kansas City. Number five is the Power and Light District. Now, let me say this. PNL is a great venue, especially for live music. I uh, As an MMA, MMA fan, I know Bellator. Used to host a couple of MMA events in KC at the PNL District. I'm not quite sure how exactly that went. I've always tried to look for footage of that online because I don't even know how people would watch an MMA event at Power and Light District. But uh, they did it apparently four times before, and I don't think they've been in Kansas City since then, which is kind of weird. But neither here nor there. Uh, look. It, PNL is mostly good for watch parties and concerts. I don't think an NFL draft, it's it's not a big venue either. Keep that in mind. For an NFL draft, you do need a big venue. And that's why I have it number five on the list. It's a great place. really is. But I don't think it is the best place to host an NFL draft. Number four, I've never been to this place, but I know a lot of people have. And I know it's, it's kind of a big attraction, especially for Royals Fan Fest. And that is the Kansas City Convention Center. Uh, at Bartle Hall, I think that is a very good place, very wide open place. You can uh, do a lot with that area. Uh, all the broadcast teams that are out there, they could set up very easily in a place like that. And you can fit a lot of fans in that area as well. So I think that would be a good place to host the NFL Draft in Kansas City. Number three, this is also a place I've never been to. But I've seen pictures of it. And logistically, I think some of the... Some of the things that you would have, again, going off all these broadcast teams and their booths that they want to set up, all the tables, this would be kind of challenging. But maybe there's a way around it. I, I just don't know exactly how they do it, but maybe there is a way and I don't know how. But that would be the Coffin Center for the Performing Arts in Kansas City. I believe it opened in 2011, if I remember correctly. And uh, I've not been there since then. I've, I've wanted to go. I've never made an effort to see what shows they're putting on but uh i certainly would love to check it out one day uh but again i've seen photos of it and it looks like it'd be a very nice place kind of looks like radio city music hall again i've never been the been to either of them but from what i've seen on tv and photos online they do look fairly similar Number two, this one seems like a fairly easy one to go to, and I think it would be very nice to to have, and that would be the Sprint Center. Uh, You can do a lot of things at the Sprint Center, great venue, uh, a lot of 
big areas backstage for the players who want to attend the NFL draft. So you have that that space for the players who want to be in the green room waiting for their names to be called to go shake the commissioner's hand, hold that jersey, and take some photos and do that on-stage interview. So you have the room backstage. I know a lot of you guys listening probably have never seen it before. Uh, It's kind of hard to describe, but trust me when I say they they do have the room for that backstage. They certainly do. Um, There are a lot of rooms they can use as well. And the arena itself, I I, I think, is very good. So you can definitely work around it, uh, make some adjustments, and have the NFL draft there. Number one on my list now, I did mention the American Royal is is kind of an older building, and I also mentioned uh, the Convention Center, of course, an older building. But I still think this is a very iconic building, and where exactly it is located in Kansas City, I still think you could, you know, look away from the fact that it's an older building and see the fact that you can do a lot with this venue, that would be Union Station. That's my number one pick to have the NFL draft. Now, I will say this. Is there a possibility for a joint venue? For example, you have the NFL draft at the Sprint Center, but you have some activities taking place at the Power and Light District as well, similar to what we do for the Big 12 tournament. I think that would be... Very unique and cool to do. Uh, keep in mind, it is obviously closed off. So, you know, if Roger Goodell's making an announcement at the Sprint Center, it might be a couple of seconds behind on TV, but I don't think anyone would truly notice, to be honest with you. And I think, you know, it'd be pretty cool to have the ESPN, uh, the main analysts inside the Sprint Center, and then across the street at Power and Light, hey, you've got Schefter, you've got Mort, uh, uh, for NFL Network, you have Rappaport, all of them reporting from Power and Light. Uh, maybe they could do it on stage too. They could have their booths there. So I think that'd be kind of unique if they did a joint type of venue setup for the NFL draft. And obviously, look, if you're in Kansas City, you definitely want to utilize that kind of space for a monumental event like the NFL draft. By the way, someone uh, sent me this. Uh, and obviously the space for this would be impossible, but I can tell they were kidding with this. Someone said the NFL draft should be hosted at the original Joe's Kansas City Barbecue in Kansas City, uh, at that gas station. Uh, I don't remember the exact crossroads. I remember when my family and I first moved to the U.S., that was one of the first places we lived around. Uh, so I know exactly where you're talking about, but, uh, yeah, I mean, sure, why not? It's small space, but I'm sure Kansas City, if they were forced to do so, Boy, they would do everything they could to try to make that happen just so they could show off the barbecue. Why not? Um, I think I mentioned this recently. I I went to Q39 for the first time, and I asked you guys for suggestions what to eat there. A lot of you guys suggested the uh, Burnt End Barbecue Burger. That was pretty damn good. Uh, A lot of people have told me that they've got the best briskets among uh, barbecue restaurants in KC. That is something that I'm uh, definitely going to try in the near future. As well, So I appreciate those who did make suggestions with that. But that is my top five for venues in Kansas City to have the NFL draft. What do you guys think of my top five? Is it good? Is it terrible? Uh, do you have a better number one spot? Do you agree with my idea about a joint venue like the Sprint Center and PNL? I want to hear your thoughts. Never too late to get in on the discussion. Facebook.com slash Farzin Vesugian. Twitter.com slash Farzin21. Like I said earlier in the podcast, not a lot of Chiefs news uh, this week. Uh, The biggest story, I guess, uh, involving the Chiefs, Benjamin Watson, a long-time tight end, I believe a 15-year tight end in the NFL, 
Uh, he announced that he is coming out of retirement and wanted to sign with a football team. And the Kansas City Chiefs were one of the teams that, uh, according to reports, were a possible option. Uh, I, I guess there was interest on both sides. This was actually the second offseason in a row the Chiefs were interested in bringing in Benjamin Watson. However, Watson ended up going to the New England Patriots, going back to the team that first gave him an opportunity in the NFL. He joined the Patriots in 2004 and played with him all the way through 2009. So he was part of that team that almost went 19-0. So he's had a lot of experience with Tom Brady before. And you know what? If if you're a pass catcher and you've played in the NFL for this long and you're kind of on the brink of playing or retiring and you're wanting to come back from retirement, well, if you're going to come back from retirement, at least go play with Tom Brady because you know he'll bring the best out of you. And obviously, they had Rob Gronkowski retire, so there was a loss there in a wide open spot at tight end. So it certainly makes sense. It definitely makes sense. And, you know, if the Patriots were not an available option, hey, why not the Chiefs? You know that Patrick Mahomes makes everybody around him better. We saw what he did with Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. Yes, they were both pro bowlers before, but even with Patrick Mahomes going there in his first year as a starter, we saw Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey put up big numbers that they've never put up before in their careers. So uh, you you know you can't go wrong if you join the Patriots or the Chiefs, given the fact that both quarterbacks will bring out the best in you and maximize your value coming out of retirement. So it certainly makes sense for him to pick the Patriots uh, being one of the candidates uh, that he had, and, and the Chiefs would have been the other reasonable one to go to. So uh, we'll see how that pans out, especially with, the, with Rob Gronkowski retiring. Maybe Benjamin Watson plays a little bit more than uh, than we might expect him to. Not exactly sure how that's going to pan out, but that is certainly something to consider. But hey, speaking of the Chiefs and the Patriots and a couple of other teams out there, so ESPN has something called an FPI. And I'm not going to go into the detail with, with FPI. They do have an article explaining what that is, but it's basically their prediction model for NFL games. And according to ESPN's FPI... The Kansas City Chiefs have the best chance to win the Super Bowl at 16%. The Saints come in at 15%. The Patriots come in at 12%. The Rams come in at 12% also. The Indianapolis Colts come in at 6%. Now, they also have the top five most likely Super Bowl matchups. The Saints and Chiefs come in at first place with a 7% chance and then... At a 6% chance, it's Saints-Patriots and then Rams-Chiefs. And then at 5%, it's Rams-Patriots. And then at 3%, you have Saints and Colts. Now, what does this really mean at the end of the day? I don't really know. And quite honestly, it may not mean a whole lot, basically. And I, I, don't, I don't really know the details of FPI. And the fact that the Patriots are at a 12% is kind of interesting. And I'll say this, too. For whatever reason, the Patriots, when they get off to a really slow start, that seems to be a good thing for them. Let's not forget in 2014 when they got off to a slow start and then got blown out by the Chiefs. That eventually translated to a Super Bowl win. In 2017, they lost their first game of the year to the Chiefs and started the season 2-2. Two and two, And they went on to win the Super Bowl. That was the big comeback against... or They, they were coming off... Actually, I take that back. They were coming off... The Super Bowl where they had that comeback win against the Falcons. But they still went to a Super Bowl, nonetheless. 
this past season, in fact, the the Patriots started one and two. They won their first game of the season, but then they lost back to back games in weeks two and three. And obviously, they bounced back pretty well. Uh, in fact, they lost uh, two in a row in December. Still managed to win the Super Bowl. So even though the Patriots get off to slow starts, and I know it's a popular thing to pick against the Patriots and maybe get fans excited uh, by predicting that the Patriots are going to take a step back and someone else is going to come in. Obviously, they're picking the Chiefs in this case. Now, the Chiefs have had been Super Bowl favorites for 2020 for quite some time. In fact, it was shortly after the AFC Championship loss that the Chiefs suffered that the Chiefs were already being named Super Bowl favorites for the following year. Look, a lot can happen between now and August and September when the season gets underway, and then obviously from September and December. But, I mean, that, that's that's part of the predictions. People obviously love reading these kinds of things. I guarantee you, Patriots fans read it and they say, hey, uh, they're just being haters because they ain't us. I mean, that's I'm sure they're going to play that card, and they're going to say, well, the 12% means nothing. Colts fans are going to say, we're better than 6%, but we'll take being in the top five. Chiefs fans obviously are going to... Love the fact that they're right now the number one team. Some will complain 16% is too low. Some will complain that ESPN is cursing or jinxing the Chiefs right now. Whatever you want to call it. Uh, Listen, take it for what it is. Uh, A lot of people in Kansas City, whether it's Chiefs fans, Royals fans, uh, which 90% of them are, are, they like both teams. Fans don't like it when there are negative predictions about the team. For example, the past couple of years... The Royals have been projected to miss the playoffs, and Royals fans, they're they're infuriated by those. Yet, the experts were still correct in predicting that. Over the past several years, even though Andy Reid has turned the Chiefs into a relevant football club, we still have not seen the Chiefs get a lot of that positive coverage, or at least have those kinds of predictions where they're expected to do very well. Yet, here they are. And people have been complaining about this for a long time. Well, look, you're getting it right now. Uh, there have been Vegas sports books that have the Chiefs as uh, current betting favorites. And now you have ESPN with their model naming the Chiefs as the favorites to win the Super Bowl in January or February, rather. Take it for what it's worth. Maybe you think it's a bad thing. Maybe you think it's a good thing. But I, I know this. Fans have been complaining about this for a long, long time, and now you are seeing your team, the Chiefs, be on the uh, high standard, expected to win the Super Bowl. No update on the Tyreek Hill situation. Uh, I had said when the when the text messages came out, I had said that the uh, the investigation should be wrapping up soon. Yet we have actually not heard anything since then. Uh, look, sometimes with these legal cases and and especially with the NFL and their decision-making, the NFL's decision-making might take a while, a while. You just never know. But as far as the legal activity goes, this could take a while. By the way, I do want to be clear about one thing when it comes to the investigation. I know Therese Paler tweeted that. According to uh, sources uh, from Yahoo Sports, which is where he works, where he writes, uh, they mentioned that 
the DA never reopened the investigation, even though KCTV5 reported that and Andy Reid had said that in the Frank Frank Clark press conference. Now, even back when the DA said that he could not charge Tyreek Hill nor Crystal Espinal, uh, the Chiefs did release a statement saying that they are aware that the DA will not charge Tyreek Hill. However, due to continued investigation by the Department for Children and Families, they don't have any comments on the situation because there is another investigation. So point being that there is still another investigation going on. And if I'm not mistaken, the Department for Children and Families, I don't think they ever had reached a conclusion yet. And plus, shortly about 24 hours after the DA's press conference, that's when the audio came out. And I'm sure that that gave the uh, Department for Family or for Children and Families, excuse me, uh, more to work with in their investigation. And obviously the uh, attorney's letter to the NFL. And by the way, I know a lot of people are criticizing the attorney in the letter. Look, we talked about this a little bit. I understand that people are saying that the letter is cleaned up and grammatically great. I mean, that's the point of a letter from an attorney. I kind of disagree. There are certain grammatical issues I saw in that one. And again, that, that shouldn't really deter the investigation or the NFL's decision-making. However, let's be honest. If an attorney is going to write a letter, you are expecting good grammar. Uh, I've heard this a lot in journalism. You cannot expect you, you can't expect to take a journalist seriously if they're not writing with good grammar. Same thing goes for teachers and lawyers, attorneys, judges, politicians. I mean, so many people out there that you know you you do expect them to write uh, well. You expect their letters to be polished in in a certain way. Uh, but again, that's not the whole point here. Uh, the the biggest criticism I'm seeing is the text messages. Uh, or at least the only text message that was made public uh, was the one between uh, Tyreek and Crystal where Tyreek is saying, Crystal, I might be charged because of this. And she's saying, well, uh, I know it's my fault and and all. Uh, Obviously not word for word, but I'm paraphrasing there. Uh, I will say, I think a lot of people have a valid point when they question how that's being written. Uh, I know people are talking about commas and grammar, and there are some racial indications there. And look, I, I don't agree. If you want to imply that people don't text like that, fine. But if you want to imply that people don't text like that because of the color of their skin, that's certainly an issue, and that is a racist comment, absolutely. Uh, but I do agree that, I mean, look, I hardly uh, refer to anyone by their name. Even, uh, I mean, even significant others don't refer to people by their name unless they're in trouble. (laughs) I mean, let's just be honest about that. But uh, that is kind of uh, oddly written, I'll be honest. Uh, Again, I don't know. Maybe they do write in in almost perfect grammar when they interact with each other. Maybe they do, and that's a surprise to us. I don't know. I do have perfect grammar when I text someone uh, for professional reasons but if it's a buddy of mine if it's my brother it's my family i mean i'm i'm writing like a five-year-old let's just be honest i I think a lot of us do it that way now as far as the tyreek hill investigation goes brooke Pryor of the kansas city star obviously has taken a lot of heat from it 
She has taken a lot of heat from a journalistic standpoint, and I think that is always fair game. You are always allowed to criticize someone for their reporting, as long as you have valid reasons to criticize them for that. But Brooke Pryor has also taken a lot of personal attacks, and we have discussed that on the podcast. A lot of really cruel comments about her appearance physically, uh, the fact that she is a woman, In sports media, she has taken uh, some awful comments about that. And uh, some really awful uh, sexual comments written about her as well that is just completely uncalled for. And I said this in a conversation on Twitter I had with someone. You know, if, if you're proudly making those comments... I mean, what do the women in your life, whether it's a wife, a mother, grandmother... Your aunt, your sister, daughter, I mean, what 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 do what do the women in your life think when you're making a comment like that toward a female reporter? Um I mean these are and I look, I, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people in media they have thick skin doesn't mean that they're annoyed or bothered by the negative comments, but a lot of them do have thick skin, so I'm sure she she's been able to brush a lot of it off. But at the same time, it's kind of impact. In fact, I actually do have an audio clip I do want to get into because she did talk about that. But before I get into that, we really do have a lot to um, to to work on as a society. Because if we are making these kinds of comments about people, whether it's for if it's about reporting, I'm seeing people who don't like certain politicians and they make horrific comments about them personally, whether it's their appearance or their race, whatever it is, which, again, is completely uncalled for. I don't think there's any need for that. Uh, You can always disagree with someone uh, rationally, logically, kindly. uh, But unfortunately, we are in a society today where social media allows us to be very vulgar and not honestly not take any consequences for it. Brooke Pryor was on the Football Girl podcast hosted by, and I apologize if I don't remember her name correctly, I believe it's Melissa Jacobs, and I believe she is with Sports Illustrated. She's been with ESPN and several other media outlets in her journalism career, and she's got a podcast called the Football uh, the Football Girl podcast. Brooke Pryor was a guest on that podcast, and they had a conversation about the Tyree Kill uh, situation from a journalistic standpoint, the coverage of all of that, how that has really gone down. And Brooke talked a lot about that. And then uh, Melissa asked Brooke about the backlash she has taken from reporting the news about the Tyree Kill story. And, and more specifically, I believe Brooke was the first one to mention there was a broken arm. Let me say this, and I know I was a little guilty of this as well. I think a lot of people are assuming that Brooke Pryor reported that Tyreek Hill broke his son's arm. But I don't recall her ever saying that. Now, even if she did make a really false accusation like that, if it is false, uh, I know we're still learning some some of the details on on that. The story's obviously taken multiple turns. But even if she was wrong and did make that false accusation, I don't think that justifies some of the comments that people have made. To her. Here is Brooke Pryor on the Football Girl podcast responding to a question about some of the heat she has taken, not from her reporting skills, but how she has been attacked personally 
from this. This is a couple of minutes, but it's absolutely worth listening. And we've got to have a conversation about this. Listen to this. You know, you break this story. um, And then I, you know, I know I tweeted out, tweeted it out something about your, you know, good reporting. And I got crap for it. I've been kind of monitoring what you've received. It's it's unbelievable. Um, just just you know the the backlash, the the visceral reaction. I mean, is, is it worse than you thought it would be? You know, I think so. I mean, I think it's just the volume of it. There have I mean, it's hard to judge. You know, because you don't want to say, well, you know, the the words aren't as bad as I thought they were going to be because the words are pretty bad. But you have to become numb to it really quickly. You know, I've, I've taken heat before over things, um, and I have a pretty thick skin, and I tend to, you know, make jokes out of a lot of serious stuff because that's just my coping mechanism. Um, but when there's just such a high volume of it, it can get you down. And, like, the, the night that we broke it, I believe was – it was UNC Duke was playing, um, and I'm a UNC grad, so obviously – the Carolina Duke basketball game is like a holiday for me. Um, I had had plans to, to go to a watch party with UNC grads. And I, because of everything that was coming in on Twitter, I said, you know what? I, I don't want to go out. I don't, I don't want to see people right now. And I just got takeout Chinese and turned off my Twitter notifications and, you know, told my husband, you know, I, he was still in Oklahoma. And I said, I know that you want to talk to me, but like, I just, I need to be by myself right now. Um, wow. there's a change.org petition to have me fired. There's a hashtag fire book fryer. Um, I still have Google alerts for my named, for my name. There were, um, even as recently as, you know, a couple days ago, um, reporting from rookie minicamp, people read it and take anything I say as an excuse to, you know, call me fat, ugly, whatever. It turns into a lot of personal attacks. And that's, I mean, I just tell myself that's how fans are. You know, there's, um, they're fanatics, you know, by definition. And when you're reporting on something as explosive and as controversial as this, um, you know, it's, they want to lash out. They're angry. Um, Tyreek Hill can be the difference between a Super Bowl team and a, you know, average team that makes the playoffs, you know, as a wild card um, or, do- or doesn't make the playoffs at all. And so, yeah, I, I think that people were really upset and they took it out on me because, you know, don't shoot the messenger, but, you can tweet at her, I guess. Um, but it's, it's been, it's been a learning thing. Um, and I'm thankful that people at the star, um, people in Kansas city that know me, uh, my friends, my family have all reached out to make sure that I'm okay. And, you know, I'm, I'm fine. I even talked to my boss about it yesterday. It's, it's just something, unfortunately, that women especially go through in this industry. And it's kind of, a really sick rite of passage that at some point you're going to get trolled to the point that you just want to throw your phone into the river or out your window or wherever that, so that you can't Absolutely. read what's being said. Yeah. And now you co-reported the original report. You, you had a co-byline and mm-hmm. with, and you're with a, with a male colleague. What, what kind of grief did he take in comparison to you? <laughs> you know, he didn't get anything um, for the most part. I, a lot of the replies on the tweet were only targeted toward me. Um, And he's a really good journalist. I mean, people, the star has a really talented staff. He is incredible. um, And I'm so thankful that he was reporting the story with me. Um, But he, you know, didn't take any heat and he called me and he apologized. He said, I'm sorry. It's not fair that, that you're getting all of it and I'm not getting anything. I said, don't apologize. Don't feel bad that you're not getting trolled. And I am, you know, you can't control that. Um, 
and it's, you know, he's, he's checked in with me pretty frequently to make sure that I'm doing okay. Um, I know that we did get an email of somebody saying F you, um, which, you know, of course. Um, yeah. But yeah, he hasn't taken nearly as much heat as, as what I've received. Now, the journalist she is referring to that she ha- uh, shared the byline with, that was, I believe his name is Steve Vokrot. Vokrot, uh, one of those pronunciations. I hope I got one of those right. Uh, but yeah, there. I mean, there's a lot to take in there. Uh, I mean, I, I think people are forgetting, look, reporters are human too. Uh, you know, again, we're in, a, we're in an era now where if a kicker misses a field goal in college football, so many people are tweeting at them, telling that kicker to kill themselves or to eat bleach or... Just all these horrific things that we forget. Yeah, sure. He he's a guy who's obviously playing at a collegiate level, getting a, a free education and all. But you know, he's still human at the end of the day. For him to screw up in in a moment, he it's not like he wanted to do it on purpose. But you know, uh, it happens sometimes. And for people to react that way over a game, it's 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 pretty pathetic. Uh, you know, look at the local media, and I had this conversation with someone on the Facebook page and on Twitter as well. When the Kareem Hunt thing happened, there were so there were a lot of Chiefs fans lashing out on the local media, on the TV stations, the newspaper, the radio stations. Why are you reporting bad things about the, the Chiefs? This is your hometown team. You should not represent them that way. It's not the media's job. To quote represent anybody, it's the media's job to talk about what is happening, and unfortunately, people think that TMZ is at fault because of what Kareem Hunt did. People think TMZ is at fault because they apparently destroyed fantasy football teams. And now you look at the situation where people are now blaming Brooke Pryor because she put the she I mean she apparently painted this picture of Tyree Kill, which again if you want to criticize her reporting fine but I again I don't I, I don't think she ever made the comment in that uh, co uh, report w- with her uh, colleague or any insinuation that Tyree Kill was the one who broke the three year old son's arm it was just a a source that told them that the son has a broken arm. This has to do with a broken arm, which is true. This is really what it's all stemming from. That's a big part of the investigation. Why was this child abused? Why, why, why did he suffer a broken arm? What led to that? And the comments that she has taken and being called fat and ugly, certainly it, it just, Dumb comments uh, for people to make that. And obviously people have time on their hands if they feel the need to go after people and and make these kinds of comments. Obviously people have nothing better to do if they want to resort to this kind of activity online. I do want to get back to that, but let me just say this. As someone, you know, I've gotten in better shape. I've talked about my weight loss on this podcast and on social media. But as someone who was once obese before, I can tell you it's it's not a fun thing to deal with. And, And the people who are obese... They know it, and they don't need anyone reminding them about it. It's it's not really the the most fun thing to to be reminded about. It's really not. Um, luckily, no, not a lot of people made that comment about me being Middle Eastern. I have received other comments instead when people disagree with me on a subject. So go figure. That's the kind of world we live in. Uh, but I do want to say this. 
because I just I want to go back to these comments on social media that people make because they're so brave behind their keyboard or their tablet, whatever. We we hear a lot of stories in the media about online bullying that happens because of two people who don't like each other in school and how online bullying has led to suicide. Okay, so take the online bullying that kids are making and look at the online bullying among adults. Now, people are going to say, well, you're taking that too far. It's trolling. It's meant to be funny. Uh, it may be trolling and funny to, to some people, but the person on the receiving end of some of these horrific comments, I don't think they view it as anything comical or enjoyable. Maybe enjoyable for a lot of the people who like that kind of uh, that kind of comment, uh, just to sit back and watch it and laugh. Uh, but you never know what that person could be going through on that day, or you make that comment about their physical appearance. So again, I am going to call it online bullying because that is what it is. Let's not sugarcoat it. So we criticize kids for bullying other kids online and driving them to suicide. Yet here we are as adults. Adults are making more horrific comments on social media. How can we honestly expect as a society to expect kids not to do online bullying, yet here we are uh, talking about sports, athletes, and I get this this investigation with Tyreek Hill's son that has nothing to do with sports, but it's a prominent story because Tyreek Hill is a big-name wide receiver in the NFL, playing for a team that was an overtime period away from a Super Bowl. So we've got to understand that, that this is a story because of sports. But here we are, and again, even if this Tyreek Hill thing never happened, and even if Kareem Hunt, the whole activity with him never happened, there are still so many examples I can go look for on social media where people disagree on a subject and they resort to this bashful kind of activity on social media, and that is bullying. So there are plenty of examples of this. We criticize, again, I'm going to say it again, we criticize kids for online bullying, yet here we are as adults, and there's online bullying because of a difference of opinion in sports. We're talking about sports, we're talking about entertainment, games essentially, and people are bullying each other because of that. Listen man, I know people don't like this topic, especially on a sports podcast like this, I know that's not what this is meant to be, but the fact that sports fans do this and that a sports reporter gets this kind of heat because of a fact she threw out there. It's uncalled for. And we truly do have a lot of room to grow as a society. Somebody tweeted me and said, Hey, look, it's only 2% of the people. First off, I disagree with that percentage, but let's just say it's 2% anyway. And I know people will say, well, look, you, you can never expect perfection. Well, I think in certain areas we need to demand that. Because if 2% of the world resorts to online bullying, that's 2% too much. If you want to tell me that only 2% of NFL players have been arrested in the past 365 days, okay, great, but that's still 2% too many. If you want to tell me that, you know, uh, murders in Kansas City have gone down... 10%, okay, great, I'm glad we're making progress, but that's still too many. There are certain areas where, and I understand, look, we can't live in a perfect world, but we 
can damn sure work together to at least demand it. And I think that's something that we need to work on. I, look, I think online bullying is a great place to, to, to start from. Like I said, we are in an era now where people do have a lot of courage and they have a lot to say when they're not face-to-face with certain people. And that is wrong. Uh, hearing those comments Brooke Pryor make, and again, you can still criticize her reporting, that's okay, but to attack her like that, boy, that is that is not that is not cool at all. It's uncalled for. Uh, quite honestly, if I made those kinds of comments, I don't know if my family would even want to talk to me again, and rightfully so. Why would they? Why would you want to call someone your family member if they're making that kind of comment, if they're calling a female reporter fat and ugly just because you don't like the fact that she reported something negative about a football player or something going on in that investigation. Is that really how low we're trying to stoop ourselves here? I mean, it, it's it's not that serious. Look, yeah, there's a three-year-old's boy, uh, a three-year-old's life that's that was in danger. But at the end of the day, this is not your personal life. You can still care about this kid, but... At the same time, you know, people are acting like they are negatively impacted on a personal level when they are not. Uh, That is a problem with our society today. And that is something that I really feel like needs to be brought up here. And that's why I'm talking about it on the podcast. Uh, It's never okay. A lot of female sports reporters deal with this. Uh, Boy, I can't imagine what social media was like when Ben Roethlisberger was in that car accident. Or a motorcycle accident, I should say. Uh, I guarantee you, if any women were to cover that, they would get a lot of uh, attacks. More than men. In fact, I mean, she mentioned uh, the the, co- the colleague that she shared a byline with was a male writer. He hardly took any heat for that. And I get sports get a lot more coverage than regular news. But he still covered a pretty big story, and he got a lot of heat for it. Uh, I know we don't often get female beat writers in Kansas City. Uh, I'm, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. Uh, I mean, you had Therese, you had Teicher, you had Bab. Uh, I believe Brooke Pryor might be the first, at least I, I can recall, the first female uh, beat writer we've had. Uh and unfortunately, female writers uh, get a different response to certain stories, which is absolutely wrong. I talked about this on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, like any topic, never too late to join in. Facebook.com slash Farzine Visuga and Twitter.com slash Farzine21. Time to wrap up the podcast. Let's go around the NFL. Jason Pierre-Paul, the defensive end for the Buccaneers, formerly with the Giants, where he had some successful years there, winning a Super Bowl, uh, got in a really severe car accident, and that has put his 2019 season in jeopardy. And just some really bad luck with Jason Pierre-Paul. Obviously, he had that 4th of July incident a couple of years ago where, uh, I mean, it it just ruined his hand and uh, basically wraps it up every time he has to play football. And now he has this incident that uh, is going to impact his football career once again uh, and he may not play for the remainder of 2019 and look kind of like what I said about the whole Tyreek Hill situation uh, before um, uh, right after the draft hey look 
You never know if your players get in trouble or if something could happen to your players. That's why you talk to as many players possible. Uh, I mean, God forbid, if something were to happen to Patrick Mahomes, got in trouble or maybe got injured in a car accident, well, that's why you need to talk to quarterbacks as the offseason goes along and see uh, leading up to the draft, uh, is that a position of need? Is your quarterback all good or did something come up? Uh, Fortunately, in Tampa Bay's case, they did draft a defensive end later. Uh, they got Anthony Nelson out of Iowa. And I know Iowa had a lot of players taken in this draft. Uh, a lot of defensive players, if I remember correctly. Uh, they also have William Golston. So this is one of those situations, man. Again, crap luck, especially for JPP. Uh, again, who's had a tremendous career, but also has had a lot of notable moments now outside of the field where, again, it has made some sort of a negative impact. Uh, in his football career, and more, even more so in his personal life, and hopefully everything's going to be okay with the injuries he's dealing with. I believe it was a neck injury that he suffered in the car accident, so hopefully he'll be able to take the time he needs to recover from that and come back stronger in 2020, uh, as it does seem like he's now in that direction preparing for 2020 instead at this race. Speaking of preparing, Sean McVay said that he feels like he overprepared in the Super Bowl Against the Patriots, as you guys know, this was kind of a bore fest of a Super Bowl. And I think it's very interesting he said that. Another thing that Sean McVay said, he said that there's so much time for the Super Bowl that it can lead to over-preparing. And I get what he means. I mean, two weeks there when you're playing against the most prominent team we've seen the past two decades... Uh, and it's all because of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick in the New England Patriots that you want to do everything you can. You want to make sure you have all your bases covered to make sure you can do everything you can to dethrone uh, one of the best teams we've seen in recent memory in the NFL. He said if he got a do-over, he'd maybe absorb the moment a little bit more and just take in the whole feel of what it meant to make it. To a championship, and I can understand where he's coming from. You know, it, it can be pretty stressful. You, there's a lot of there's a lot of stress that comes with that. Every single fan in LA and every single fan in the Boston area, they're thinking, "All right, this is this is it. We're gonna win this championship." I know Patriots fans have been there many times, whereas LA, I mean, LA fans, they they just got this football team, and they're hoping, "Hey, maybe this could happen on a consistent basis, going to a championship." So. The moment where you make it to the championship, you really want to make sure it goes your way. And obviously, a lot of things went wrong for the Rams in the Super Bowl. We'll see what happens with the Rams this year. They're going to be one of the better teams again. It'd be a surprise if they weren't. But uh, Sean McVay, I think he's... You're kind of seeing that ego maybe set aside a little bit. Where he's saying, hey look, it's on me. I overprepared. Maybe a bit too much. So... Very interesting. I don't know if there is such thing as over-preparing, especially against the Patriots in the Super Bowl, but perhaps maybe it is a thing. I don't know. Uh, but Sean McVay certainly feels that is the case. Last thing I want to talk about, the XFL. Uh, uh, a lot of uh, news coming out of the XFL this week. Uh, Commissioner Oliver Luck says he prefers not to test players for marijuana, and that opens up a, a, a lot of interesting ideas. Like what about Josh Gordon? Is, is is this a player who could maybe play in the XFL rather than the NFL? Uh, I know there is a massive debate in sports, especially in the NFL and in mixed martial arts, about marijuana use and whether it should be removed from the list of banned substances in these sports. 
Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I know there are a lot of people who say that there isn't anything terribly wrong with marijuana and CBD and all of those things and that there are more positive things that come from it. It helps relax some people from it. There are some people who make those claims and they say that that's what they use it for. But there hasn't been a lot. I don't think there has been any scientific proof of that up to this point. I know this is a really personal subject for a lot of people. Some people feel that it should not be illegal in the country, that it should be uh, removed from banned substances in sports. And look, I mean, this is not a thing that's that I'm passionate about. I know a lot of people are. Uh, but I can understand where some people are coming from. But I think people also need to keep in mind that uh, there isn't enough evidence right now to prove that uh, these things should be banned or, excuse me, should be removed from banned substances. By the way, uh, also want to talk about this. XFL reached a new TV deal with Fox and Disney to broadcast their games on networks like Fox, ABC, uh, ESPN falls into that category as well with Disney. So uh, that's that's pretty interesting. Now, obviously, the NFL also broadcast games on Fox and Disney channels. So, and look, this, this is nothing with... Well, what's the right word for it? I mean, there's no interference of interest here. Uh, not at all. Uh, they're not going to be happening at the same time. The NFL and XFL, that is. So, the XFL making some big strides here. Uh, the AAF tried to do so, and it didn't seem to pan out. By the way, uh, before we move on, pretty cool XFL story involving the Chiefs and Raiders. I teased at the beginning of the podcast. So, Los Angeles head coach Winston Moss and the St. Louis head coach Jonathan Hayes, you may re, uh, remember that name. Uh, they actually have a history together. Moss was a linebacker for Oakland, while Hayes was a tight end for the Chiefs. Kind of makes sense. Uh, Hayes is is coaching in the state of Missouri, and uh, uh, Moss is coaching in the in the state of California. So makes sense. Uh, but these two went up against each other quite a lot. In fact, Moss in a recent press conference. He actually complained about this. Uh, he said that uh, he's excited for the XFL, except for once, uh, or excuse me, uh, Jonathan Hayes, because Hayes held him on every single play, dating back to the older moments in the rivalry between the Raiders and the Chiefs. So uh, we got a, a bit of a Chiefs and Raiders rivalry sparked in the XFL. So if you didn't care about the XFL before. Maybe this piques your interest. Well, then, there you go. There's a bit of a Chiefs-Raiders rivalry going on right now in the XFL, which will debut in 2020. Let's go out of bounds. All right, look, I know this has not been a very good season for the Kansas City Royals. Uh, second worst team in Major League Baseball right now. But the some of the numbers aren't as bad as you might think, especially the run differential, which I think is a very key stat in sports. Uh, score differential, point differential, run differential, it's a little bit different for every sport, the name of it, but it's the same thing at the end of the day. Uh, the run differential for the Royals, again, second worst team in baseball, is at a minus three, minus three. For Miami, the worst team in baseball, minus 75, and the Baltimore Orioles, uh, just above the Royals, the third worst team at a minus 68. So again, Baltimore minus 68, Royals minus 3, and Miami minus 75. Uh, you look at the three worst teams in baseball, the Royals 
they don't have the issues that teams like Miami and Baltimore are dealing with. Those are two baseball teams that are getting blown out in so many games. Whereas Kansas City, I mean, they're competitive in a lot of their baseball games. They really are. The problem is that bullpen, and it, you know, it doesn't have to be HDH type of bullpen, but if you have just a decent bullpen, kind of like what we say about the Chiefs defense, man, you just seem to probably find yourself in a better, better situation uh, in, in the standings. But unfortunately, not the case right now. It just tells you right now if the Royals can go out there and make a move or two, bring in some some relief pitchers. If there's a relief pitcher that's doing well in their in their minor league system right now, uh, maybe it can change the tide a little bit for uh, for the baseball team. It would really go a long ways for this team if they can get a bullpen out there. And if they don't, it's going to be a long season and there's going to be a lot of what-ifs when it comes to the end of the season with this baseball team. I'm sure you guys all heard the news this past weekend. The biggest story in sports was horse racing. Uh, maximum security won the Kentucky Derby but was disqualified after it was discovered. And I, I believe the announcers on NBC even noticed right away that Maximum Security cut off another horse to the point where there was actually contact between the two horses. Uh, a horse can change lanes if they so choose to do so, but uh, it can't be... I mean, there, there's got to be a little bit of, uh, of a gap uh, between the two, two horses, the two racers, uh, the owners of Maximum Security were upset by this, even though it's proven that there was contact made between the two horses. You can clearly see it in the replay. The owners of Maximum Security appealed, and it was denied, rightfully so. Uh, I know it's not positive PR for them, but you know what? At the end of the day, this is good PR for horse racing, because let's be honest, a lot of times with the Kentucky Derby, yeah, it's this phenomenal event. People, celebrities are showing up. They're dressed up, kind of fancy, little odd looking uh, for some of them. Uh, some of them probably don't even know what the hell's going on. They just want to go there because of the celebrity gathering there. And now look at the the news. Or at least earlier in the week, it was all about horse racing and maximum security. That was one of the biggest uh, topics in sports. Uh, among all the news as well so it took uh, an event like this to maybe extend the horse racing coverage so there you go uh if you if you were wondering what it took to get people to talk about horse racing especially on this podcast which i've never discussed before in the 11 12 years we've done this there you have it uh that's the first time uh people who are in sports media they're all pretty much talking about what happened in horse racing at the Kentucky Derby this past weekend. Uh, here's another thing that a lot of people are talking about. It's spoilers for movies and TV shows. Now, I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard of, and I'm sure most of you have seen Marvel Avengers Endgame. A lot of people are talking about uh, the most recent episodes of Game of Thrones. And a lot of people are trying to be wary of the fact that they understand that there are people uh, who may be a little bit behind on the show and they're not caught up yet. Some people maybe have obligations when, on Sunday nights and they can't watch Game of Thrones or maybe they work, whatever the case is, and they can't watch it on, on time. Uh, here's the deal with that, man. Here's my thing on this. Uh, there are a few TV shows I love and enjoy, but I don't get to watch them when they are live on TV almost 
anytime. I always got to DVR them or uh, find a stream and watch it later. Here's the issue with this, because people are complaining, when is it okay to discuss a really popular movie or a really popular TV show? Because people do want to discuss it on social media. That's one of the cool things about social media. You you see something really cool on TV, whether it's your favorite TV show, a, a big movie that... Uh, a lot of people are highly anticipating a reality TV show, a sporting event. Sporting events are happening live. Now, reality TV shows uh, like a Survivor or a Bachelor uh, shows that are really popular, those are, I mean, happening, you only see those episodes once. They don't re-air those kinds of things. Uh, but it doesn't get the same deal as sports, sporting events because I guess sporting events, they're meant to be discussed live, whereas... Anything non-sports, including reality TV, you can't discuss it right away. Here's one thing that I do hate when it comes to TV shows and discussing them on social media. Uh, The West Coast, people who live on the West Coast, they have to wait a couple of hours because of the time there. In fact, I remember years and years ago when Twitter trending topics were a big thing. So if something was big going on with the NFL, NFL would be trending. Uh, if there was a really popular TV show that everyone was talking about, that the name of that show would trend. I remember somebody won American Idol. I can't remember who it was, but I remember the number one trending topic on Twitter was so-and-so won American Idol. And that pretty much ruined it for everybody who was on the West Coast. I remember The Walking Dead and AMC, they got uh, a lot of grief from people on the West Coast, because once the episode, one of their season finales ended, they wrote, rest in peace, you know, whoever character was that died off right after the episode uh, finished, but people on the West Coast had not seen it yet, so uh, there is that that thing you have to consider, and listen, here's my thing, like I said a moment ago, there are a lot of TV shows that I enjoy that I don't get to see as soon as they come on, so I have to DVR it or just wait later, I kind of do this thing where I try to avoid social media for a few hours or a day as much as I can uh, because I know I may run into a comment that that discusses the whole thing. Movies, uh, okay, it's a little bit of a different deal. Everyone goes to movie theaters at different times. Some people are busy; they're caught up. They don't get this. They can't. They don't have time to head over to the movie theaters and and sit through the theater. I mean, it, it's kind of a long deal, especially now with movies being longer and longer. Avengers being three hours long, uh, plus the. <laughs> All the trailers beforehand. So I don't know, man. It is kind of a touchy subject, uh, but but I'll leave it up to you guys. When do you think it is okay to discuss movies and TV shows on social media? Should we wait for the West Coast, or should people just avoid it until they have seen the episode? I think people should just wait uh, to get on social media. That way you can avoid spoilers. Simple as that. Uh, I know not everyone can do that i know I, I, there are times where i know i i haven't seen a tv show yet but i still go on social media forgetting that i could run into a comment and it has happened before where where i found out what happens in an episode of any tv show so people forget sometimes about that as well because we're all addicted to social media uh as unhealthy as that addiction is something we all uh, are going through so uh i think people should just wait to get on social media until they've seen it and if they run into a comment hey you knew it, w- it could have been discussed, so that's on you. Final segment of the show, let's throw some penalty flags. Man, this is a disaster for the Los Angeles Lakers. 
So it's now being reported that Tyron Lue will not be the head coach of the Lakers, according to reports. Uh, other reports have said that uh, from people from Tyron Lue's camp that he has moved on from trying to be the head coach of the Lakers, which is never a good thing to hear. The Lakers are a disaster, man. Uh, you look at the Lakers, the Yankees, the Celtics, the Red Sox, Cowboys. Uh, Packers, uh, I guess the Patriots and Steelers should be thrown in there. Uh, I mean, these are some of the more marquee professional sports franchises today. And the Lakers might be just below the Yankees, but above everyone else on this list. Even though the Celtics have more championships, the Lakers, being in the uh, the whole Hollywood, LA area, I mean, that kind of adds on to their value, uh, their marquee value. The Lakers... This team has just been an absolute disaster the past few years. When LeBron returned from injury, LeBron adding the best player on the planet, when he returned from his injury, things just got worse. Now, according to reports, the offer was a three-year, $18 million deal, which is interesting because LeBron has three years left. A lot of people are wondering if it has anything to do with how much time LeBron has left on his Lakers contract, but... Uh, yeah, that's a that's a really bad move. That's a really bad offer. And if I'm Ty Lue, I am probably glad that this will not be happening. Because with the Lakers, you just don't know, man. I know there are all these rumors that every single all-star to exist right now in the NBA is rumored to go join LeBron in Los Angeles. But we know every year there is that rumor that the... Number one, two, three best players in the NBA could be going to to Los Angeles, but it doesn't happen. It's only happened once, and that's been with LeBron. So I say Lou is going to – he's going to go back and realize that, yeah, sure, the Lakers would have been a dream moment to coach the Lakers, but maybe at the end of the day, it's it's not a good idea to coach this team right now. If you're a boxing fan, a lot of you guys probably watched Canelo Alvarez and Daniel Jacobs. And a lot of you guys probably took issue with the heavily biased commentary from Brian Kenny. And Sergio Moro was on Sirius XM's Fight Nation at the fights. And he was actually asked about the commentary and the criticism surrounding it. And Sergio got kind of upset in that interview when, when he was asked about the criticism. He said, hey, look, all I can do is follow... The play-by-play's lead, and that's Brian Kenny. I don't call the fight. I call what I see, um, which, okay, I, I get what he meant there. Uh, maybe odd wording, but I know what he means. He's the color analyst for that fight. Uh, so Brian Kenny's the one who's giving the play-by-play, the blow-by-blow in this fight, not Sergio Mora. And Brian Kenny, it was mostly him. He was heavily biased in favor of Canelo, making it sound like it was some sort of blowout when it really wasn't the case. Uh, that's like saying the Patriots blew out the the Rams in the Super Bowl. No, the Rams hardly did anything in that game, but they certainly weren't blown out. It's not like the Patriots put up a lot of points in that game. That's the best comparison I can make. Uh, I think Brian Kenny and Sergio Moore, mostly Brian Kenny, have to understand, look, uh, they just didn't do a good job of calling the fight. I know Daniel Cormier, UFC heavyweight champion, was very critical, said that the uh, commentating sucks and that the commentators suck. Sergio Mora responded with, your boxing sucks. It's like, dude, this guy is the UFC heavyweight champion. First of all, he's not a boxer. He's an MMA fighter. So I guess boxing doesn't need to be his forte. Second of all, 
I mean, that's how you're responding to the criticism? I mean, come on. I mean, that's worse than Mike Freeman of Bleacher Report. Yeah, I know some of you guys were waiting for that dig. I had that one ready. But uh, last one I want to talk about here. Uh, we have talked about media and how we watch sports a lot on this podcast the past couple of months. Uh, whether it's you have uh, cable and some of the some of the network deals are kind of falling apart with some of these cable deals. Uh, We've talked about that. We've also talked about streaming services quite a lot and how there are more and more of those. There's UFC Fight Pass. There's uh, Fox Sports Go, ESPN Plus. We talked about Disney Plus and whether or not there could be a sports element to that because Disney does own ESPN. Uh, A lot of interesting topics. Uh, And again, we we are gearing more and more to the world of sports being online the UFC does have an exclusive deal with ESPN where a majority of their events are on ESPN plus which are already paying a $4.99 fee $4.99 per month now not only are UFC uh television events so the UFC before with Fox they used to have events on Fox Fox Sports 1 Fox Sports 2 uh maybe on FX if all of their sports networks were broadcasting something else uh, then they had their pay-per-views, which was not a Fox deal at all. Now with ESPN, UFC now has a deal where all of their um, all of their pay-per-views must be purchased through ESPN Plus. Uh, I believe it still costs the same. Uh, but here's the issue: not only are you forcing people to pay for this monthly streaming service f- from ESPN Plus which again is a monthly fee, but now you have to pay something within what you're paying for in this service of ESPN+. So you're paying monthly for for watching a lot of these UFC events, exclusive UFC events, and now there's another issue where you have to buy ESPN+, and you have to buy the pay-per-view separately. Listen, man, let me just say something. Uh, We've talked a lot about streaming services and how... This is now in that direction right now where other sports maybe could follow, maybe not anytime soon, but at some point we could see that play out. But, okay, listen, have your streaming service, but do what the WWE Network does. WWE Network, you can either, or I I believe this is how you can do it. I might be wrong, but I believe you can just order the pay-per-view if you want, pay the 50, 60 bucks, whatever a WWE pay-per-view is. Or you can subscribe to WWE Network, which is a really good streaming service from what I hear. I'm not a wrestling fan, but I've heard a lot about it. You pay $9.99 a month, and that does include pay-per-views. And you can watch, I believe, every single past WWE event to date. The UFC kind of has something similar with a fight pass. But again, that's another separate streaming service with the UFC. Uh, here's the reason I'm throwing the flag. The UFC, uh, they recently had their first exclusive ESPN Plus pay-per-view event, and it did terrible with buy rates. Now, there was a lot of confusion as to how you can buy this pay-per-view because it was the first time that was the, with ESPN Plus exclusive, exclusively. So maybe we give them a pass. But let me just say this. There are, is speculation that it was short of 100,000 pay-per-view buys. 
Since mid-2005, there has only been one UFC pay-per-view to not reach the 100,000 buy rate mark. It's only happened once. And in fact, it was actually a year ago this week with UFC 224 in Brazil. So, you know, for the UFC, because they are, you know, we we sold for $4.2 billion, okay, and now we've got ESPN as part of our part, uh, our broadcasting partner, that's great, but at some point, you've got to be able to sell your pay-per-views also, because you've got a lot of fighters to pay, a lot of champions now, I mean, especially with interim champions, UFC has champions left and right, and you look at the UFC right now, uh, we'll see what happens this Saturday when they have another pay-per-view. Again, it's going to be exclusive on ESPN+. Plus. But if I'm not mistaken, I believe because of the contract with ESPN, the UFC gets automatically, I believe, $500,000 from pay-per-views. They have a flat rate fee no matter what. Which, I guess that's a good thing, but if you have a marquee fighter like Conor McGregor coming back, He's going to bring in a lot of money, but hey, I guess it kind of makes up for some of the other pay-per-views that don't get that kind of buy rate. So maybe it evens out, but you can't have pay-per-views not being able to, to, to reach the 100,000 buy rate mark. That's a given for UFC pay-per-views. And I don't know if ESPN really likes this deal right now. I don't know if, uh, if they're benefiting from this as much. How does this pan out for others? streaming services and other sports down the road it's hard to say right now because i don't think any i don't think you're going to see any nfl games exclusively exclusively available on streaming services i know there are some games on amazon prime some thursday night games on amazon prime i know they tried twitter once um i'm not sure how other sports do it uh i mean there's fox sports go so you can watch some games on there you you i don't know if espn watch is now espn plus or what that is exactly but I'm sure you can watch some of the baseball games that are also on ESPN on a streaming service that ESPN has. Uh, but to have this kind of exclusive activity and not be able to sell it very well, it's not good, man. Let me just say one more thing before we wrap up here about that. You're you're asking fans to subscribe to ESPN+, Plus, which you have to pay for monthly. Then, even though you're subscribed, you still have to buy the pay-per-views separately with ESPN+. Plus. Let's just be completely honest. I know this is illegal activity here. But at this point, if you're asking fans to subscribe to the service and buy the pay-per-view separately, I think a lot of fans are going to say, you know what, I've got this nice high-definition TV here, but if I'm being asked to fork over this much money, screw it. I'm just going to turn on my laptop and stream it uh, some way find it for free and some people they're tech savvy they know how to hook up their laptops to their tv and they can find uh, the stream maybe a good quality stream and hook it up to their tv and watch it on on their big screen one way or another um again i'm not condoning that activity but let's be honest there are a lot of people who are doing that and there are people who will probably do it more often if the ufc is asking this from fans let me know your thoughts on that or anything we have discussed here on the podcast. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian. Twitter.com slash Farzine21. Subscribe to the podcast and also share the links as well. Appreciate all of you guys downloading and listening to the podcast. We are now going to go back to doing the show once a week. So the next time we'll be on, same time next week on Friday. So Friday morning, this podcast will be ready for 
download and you can listen to it whenever you can. Enjoy your weekend. We will talk to you guys next Friday talking Chiefs OTAs and much more Chiefs and NFL news. Talk to you then.